Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Social Impact Storytelling Podcast. I'm your host, Leila Ali, and I'm joined today by Jim Stenman. Jim is a Swedish-Ethiopian journalist. He's worked as a producer for CNN International in Europe and the Gulf, and has reported for Reuters and the BBC World Service. Welcome to the show, Jim. Thanks, Leila. Thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. Now, Jim, before we do a deep dive, why don't we start by you telling us your storytelling journey and what inspired you to pursue a career as a journalist? Sure. So I was born and raised in Sweden in a town that's about an hour from, from Stockholm, fairly small town, but it's grown larger in, in the last couple of years. So it's around 100,000 people living there currently. But I grew up in a very diverse family, I guess you could say. My dad's family is from originally from Norway, but they've lived in Sweden for two generations. And then my mom um, was a refugee um, from Ethiopia. So my parents met in the early 80s, had me pretty much around the same time. And um, I, I grew up in that small town with this unique heritage, being from a very sort of traditional Scandinavian family, but then at the same time, growing up with a mother from a completely different part of the world, different perspective on life um, and, and culture as well. So I think having that kind of background made me more curious about the world um, because my my mom she 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 was a refugee um, I didn't necessarily grow up in an African community in Sweden so through sort of pursuing journalism as a career I've been able to not just connect with Africa but also other parts of the world be it Middle East be it other European countries but especially the the global south so I think in a way, I've, I've used journalism as, <laughs> as therapy, <laughs> in, in, in a sense, to, um, to, to just familiarize myself with the rest of the world and get access to, to parts of the world that I didn't necessarily have access to growing up. Wonderful. That's an interesting phrase that journalism as therapy, we often hear the opposite, that people are traumatized by their work <laughs> as journalists. So that's an interesting take. Okay, so how did you go from being, you know, a student of journalism mm. to landing a gig with CNN? I mean, I met you sometime in 2019, I believe. Yes. And you were a producer with uh, CNN's flagship show, uh, Connect the World with Becky Anderson, which is a huge deal. So how did that come about? Yeah, so I've, I've done a couple of different things in the media space. I graduated, um, just take me back now in time, uh, 2006 in the UK. So so essentially, I, I was born and raised in Sweden, but then I studied in, in the US and in the UK, wrapped up my studies in the UK in 2000 and um, 2006 and you know what it's like when you're entering the the media industry it's not easy it's very competitive so you have to take whatever opportunities come your way um, i ended up working for a scandinavian broadcaster a company that essentially started out as just a scandinavian broadcaster uh, based in london but broadcasting to scandinavia and then eastern europe and parts of africa so I started out with them as a, as a production assistant back in the day, did that for a couple of years between 
London, um, Stockholm. And then after working with them, I think for four, four or five years, I decided to move back to, uh, to London because I, I missed being in an international um, multicultural environment. So I came back to London and I managed to land a gig with, uh, <laughs> with Cartoon Network, uh, of all places, as a digital uh, producer. So basically working across their entertainment uh, websites that they had in the, in the Nordic region. So they needed someone with language skills, and that was my in with the company. Spent about two years doing that, and then there was an opportunity to cross over to CNN, which uh, both both of those channels slash companies were part of Time Warner back then. So yeah, there was an opportunity to cross over to CNN uh, and kind of using my digital skills and uh, learning more about video, short form video, taking clips from. Uh, from um, full-length TV shows, posting them online, pushing it on social media, and, and so on. So it was, it was the perfect opportunity for me to cross over because I had studied journalism, but I didn't really end up working in journalism after graduating. So this would have been back in 20, 2010. And that's how I first got my start with, uh, with CNN. Um, I continued working as a digital video producer with the team in London for, I think, roughly about four years. Um, learned a lot. Um, also started writing a little bit for the website. Um, did some interesting stories. Had a couple of deployments, including uh, covering the, uh, the migrant crisis on, uh, on the Mediterranean. And then in 2016, so this... I guess would have been 10 years after finishing my studies. Um, I, I got an opportunity to move to, uh, to Abu Dhabi in the UAE, which is actually where I'm joining you <laughs> from today. I'm based in Dubai, but I happen to be in Abu Dhabi um, at the moment um, to work on, um, on Becky Anderson's show, Connect the World. My background at that stage had been very much digitally focused, and this was more of a TV sort of traditional role. So it was it was another opportunity to learn something something new. You're moving across, well, halfway across the world, essentially. And um, it, I was also quite interested in being closer to East Africa. So never expected to end up in this part of the world. In fact, I never en- expected to end up in London. But I think sometimes you, um, you just have to grab these opportunities when they're offered to you. Absolutely. It's about keeping an open mind and open. It's about keeping an open mind and an open heart to whatever the the world presents us. But Jim, I mean, you've been in the media industry for over 10 years. And I think during that time, there's been many, many changes, right? Mm. And you've done, you know, print, you've done digital, you've done video. For any young listeners, what would you say is the most... uh, important skill for them to learn today i mean just looking at where the industry is headed and the trends you know what do they need to really focus on if they want to break into this industry so there's a couple of different things i mean i think getting into the industry um as as we established can be very challenging so it depends where you're living in the world if you're starting out in a smaller market that might make it much easier than, you know, trying to break into the industry living in a massive city like, you know, like London or New York. 
Um, but I think number one would be make sure that you get as much experience as possible while you're still at university. For me, that meant doing a lot of internships. I think I probably must have done three or four internships um, that I had to my credit by the time that I finished my my studies. So I think that would be number one. Uh, do you want me to list a few other I'll examples? I'll give as well? you an example from my personal life. Um, my background is in print journalism. This has always been my passion: writing, long form journalism. But uh, I've had to learn along the way the importance of video and the whole industry is pivoting towards video first. So for me, if I was, if I had an opportunity to upskill myself or redo, uh, have a do-over, I would definitely prioritize maybe the, the video production side of it. Okay, so I think what you mentioned um, in, in terms of video, I, I agree with you absolutely. I mean, video and social media in, in general um, I have a pretty good grasp of, of video. I can't claim to be a social media expert, but uh, obviously I spend a lot of time on, on social media more in a personal capacity. The thing is, and this is the difference between working in broadcast and, and I think digital, if, if you cover a story for a traditional TV channel, the story goes out once. It may not be seen by anyone ever again. And that's why it's crucial, I think, to, to not only post it on social media, but to push it out on YouTube. You really have to learn how to become a publicist for not just for yourself, but for your own career. And I think in some cultures, we don't necessarily feel comfortable sharing all of our work. It might feel like we're uh, being overly, um, how do I articulate this? We're, we're bragging about what we're doing, but I think we're the, the, the media space that we're in now, especially social media as well, it, it does get busy. There's a lot of content out there. So you have to make sure that you, one, push out what you're producing, and then two, find a unique angle. Really try to embrace what makes you different and lean into that. You know, there's so many people that are rehashing the same stories, but if there's anything that makes you unique, be it you know your experience or your own heritage, try to incorporate that into the story if if you can if you if you can get away with doing that in a manner that's not um, awkward. And I think in in the digital space, it's not just about telling stories in a traditional way. I think you have to connect with people, and the easiest way of doing that is is connecting on an emotional level. No, yeah, I absolutely agree with that. I mean, I think even if you're starting out in very different parts of the world, social media has been uh, a leveler in many ways. So you have an opportunity mm. to build your brand and your voice, whether that's on YouTube, whether that's on, on Twitter, TikTok, whatever, right? Just go out exactly. there, give yourself some exposure. And I really like the point that you've just made that for some cultures, that self-promotional part of it is... It's hard, and I and I see it a lot, right? Because you know sometimes yeah. you know um, humility is uh, overemphasized. Like you know, you wait mm. for other people to speak for you. You don't take the megaphone and be like, "I'm the best, I'm the best." But in the media industry, sometimes you have to do that, unfortunately. And the only way, go ahead. 
No, I was going to say, I agree with you. I, I, th I think you have to. And um, that's the, it becomes very important that you're in an environment that encourages that as well, uh, be it, you know, your colleagues or maybe even your circle of friends. Because if you're not getting your story out there, unfortunately, because of the world we're living in, you don't get heard. That's true. Yeah. And this is something that uh, if people are in a position of leadership, they also need to identify who in their teams needs that support in getting their voices amplified and heard, right? Because sometimes we give opportunities to the loudest voices in the room. So I think I, it's a skill that goes both ways. Absolutely. And that's something that I'm, I feel very passionately about that as well, that we need to get more diversity in terms of the voices that do get heard. And it, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, racial diversity or cultural diversity. But if the majority of the voices sound the same, then you're going to have less of an impact. So as, as, a, as, as a leader or as a manager within a team or the industry, I think it's crucial that we take a step backwards and then ask ourselves, okay, what are the stories that I'm putting forward? Who are the people that I'm promoting? And is, is there a chance that I might be you know, that I might be more helpful to people that come from a similar background as myself. So I think there's a lot of hidden uh, biases, um, unfortunately, that we, we may not always be aware of ourselves. And then we're just repeating the same pattern. Okay, so Jim, um, we've talked about your role in CNN and how you entered that. And then the most surprising thing to me was, you know, to a lot of young people starting out, but also to established uh, journalists landing a job with CNN in a beautiful location like the UAE is a career pinnacle in many ways. But you, you're a man of ambition and you chose to completely pivot and leave CNN to set up your own uh, media production company, which is a very brave move. And I think many would be afraid of taking so I want to unpack what motivated you to do that. <laughs> and how nervous were you? Yeah, so first of all, I've never been scared of reinventing myself. It sounds like a little bit of a bold statement. But I think throughout my life and my career, I always want to feel as if I'm growing. And if I don't feel like I'm growing, I think you do end up checking out at you know, in, in, in some capacity. So that's my approach to life. Keep growing, keep learning. And um, once we feel like we're standing still a little bit, I think that's an opportunity to just take a leap, even if it's hard. Um, I've seen a lot of people in the industry working for various uh you know journalism platforms or even in the media industry more broadly who have stayed in the same roles for years um if not decades maybe there's been some slight movement and people have a lot of regrets as well um maybe staying in in a role is the right thing to do financially and i i don't have a family so i certainly can't judge people that um decide to do what's right for you know for their families and and their lives, but I I wanted to evolve as a storyteller. I wanted to do more interesting work, documentaries, podcasts. And I think most of all, I just wanted to take a chance on myself to give myself a platform to, to grow and to evolve, as cliche as, as that sounds. And 
sometimes when you're with major companies, it's it's challenging to to not only do that, but it can be a little bit limiting as well. Because if you have opportunities uh, in terms of speaking engagements or maybe contributing to other platforms, they, that needs approval. So um, I, let's just say that I could see the benefits of being my uh, my own man, but it hasn't been easy. It's been it's been very challenging. So tell us a little bit more about the the company and what are your goals with it. So the company is called World One Media. I started it in the summer of 2019. It's been an evolution. Um, been doing different things, right? So essentially combining journalism work. So that, that's a space that I'm so active in, and then exploring storytelling uh, in the global south, um, especially in, in Africa, I would say. Storytelling that relates to development and driving foreign direct investment. Uh, we talked about this earlier as well. I mean, listen, there's still a lot of challenges on, on the continent, but things are changing. Business is booming. And, you know, it's the youngest continent in, in the world. Um, and I, I think that Africa is going to be an incredibly attractive place to do business in the future. But there are challenges around the perception of, of the continent and, and just the reality of, of doing business. So I've had some opportunities to do really interesting storytelling, to, to drive foreign direct investment and to have conversations um, around that with people in the private sector um government ministers as well and it's it's been fascinating it's been quite educational actually and i think that's the aspect that i've enjoyed the most jimmy you, you have to tell our audience where you are taking this call from it's very loud in the back yes. we hear a child is that a my child apologies my apologies I'm, I'm in a mall in abu dhabi it was fine until that child started screaming <laughs> <laughs> It's, all it's good, all good. usually very quiet here. <laughs> no, it's all good. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, how do you manage between the journalism side and the business uh, owner side of you? Yeah, I mean, it's it's um, it's it's a constant balancing act, I would say. I mean, obviously, you, you want to make sure that there's no crossover in terms of conflict of interest and things like that. Um, because at the end of the day, you want to make sure that... Um, that you're perceived as being fair in, in all of your storytelling. It's, how do I articulate this in the best possible way? I'm, I'm still learning. Um, and I've, I've changed what my initial, or I've gone back to what my initial concept was for the business, which is long form storytelling. I, I think as, um, when you're working in the media industry and when you're in journalism specifically, you're not necessarily wired to be the most patient person ever. That is a challenge that I have that I'm trying to overcome because in business, it's all about relationships and, and building those relationships don't happen overnight. Obviously, in journalism, if you want to get exclusives, uh, that takes time as well. But I think because I work for CNN, you know, you, you're sort of hiding behind those three big letters and 
everyone's familiar with the brand, so it is. It's actually not that challenging to to get access, in 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 general. But I think that's that's been my biggest growth area, just learning how to form and maintain relationships. And it's something that I wish I had placed more emphasis on earlier in my career because I completely underestimated it. And at the end of the day, if you want to get paid, you're going to need those relationships. And it's all about trust at the end of the day. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. So, and it also reminds me of, of a conversation I had with um, a friend recently who also works in the as a journalist in the industry. And she said, um, for her, that was also a challenge. And then she realized that actually when you're a journalist, you really, you know, to do the job justice or the interview justice, you have to divorce yourself from your ego and realize that ultimately you are the messenger, right? You are there to amplify the message. You are the vessel and it's not about you. And I think sometimes uh, a lot of people uh, who have particularly big profiles or big brands behind them can struggle with that in the in the beginning or initially. No, but Jim, I wanna go back to that example with the- Can, can, I, say, can I say something on that? Because I, that's really fascinating. I find that some people are better at doing that than others and even established journalists um, at the height of their careers don't manage to to do that separation sometimes. So it really it really affects the storytelling. And I, I think it's so crucial that we we take a step back and we really we try to remove our own ego because there's a lot of almost activism that gets blended in with journalism these days. And you see it. You you see it all the time. You know, it might be let let's say that you're a broadcaster with a major news channel, you're conducting an interview, factually what you're saying is correct, the questions are fair but your tone might be completely off. And if your tone is off, it's actually, it's damaging to you and, and the brand that you work for, I think. No, absolutely. And I've seen it. I mean, when I was working in Iraq, we had one um, renowned journalist and uh, yeah, our code name was The Ego Has Landed because it, it was <laughs> every time we, and we had to, you know, work with him and, um, create opportunities for collaborations, but it was very much, yeah, his way or the, or the highway to get uh, some airtime with him. You really had to accommodate his ego and, and hence the nickname, the ego has landed. So you're absolutely right. It's there. It's there. And the lucky ones are the ones that learn from it and realize actually you're doing, like you're limiting yourself because your interviewee can pick up on that and they're not going to be as vulnerable with you as they would be if you just were more um, were more attuned to them and what they need rather than putting yourself front and center and using them as a prop in your story. Absolutely. And learning, this is one of the biggest, I don't want to call it one of my biggest regrets, but learning how to manage egos is crucial if you want to enter the media industry and journalism in particular, managing egos, navigating, uh, you know, difficult relationships. I, I've, I've come to the conclusion that I think it's more important than a degree, no matter what industry you're, you're in, because that's what's going to determine how successful you are. And just because you might be um, unfortunate to work with, with some people that have huge egos and uh, maybe, maybe the chemistry is not great between, between the two of you, you shouldn't let that ruin your prospects, right? So I really think we need to we need to share experiences and give people the tools 
um, how to manage those uh, those egos and situations because it can it can transform your entire Excellent. career actually. So you've covered this in some ways, but I'll give you an opportunity to answer it if you have anything to add to it. And that is um, if somebody is interested in setting up their own media production company, what would you advise them in terms of do's and don'ts? Media production company. Okay. I think do more market research than I did initially. Think about what your unique selling point is going to be and then base yourself where the clients are. Okay, so um, now we're going to pivot and talk about failure. Because, you know, as we both know, we live in this uh, Instagram age where people just tend to spotlight the best, uh, their best selves, right? And only their success. And we want to normalize conversations about failure because we've all had those moments. So in that spirit, could you share an example of a project you worked on that didn't end as well as you imagined and what you learned from it? So there's been several projects like that. Um, one would be a, a government project that I did in, in Africa. It was, again, focused on foreign direct investment, worked with a ministry. I think the output of of what we were able to achieve was, was quite good. Um, the, the storytelling was actually on point. Everyone who, who, who saw the video piece that we produced um, really liked it. But we had some challenges around distribution, um, especially because um, it was a tricky time for that particular country. So ultimately we weren't able to distribute the content in a, in a commercial, um, way that we had intended to do it. So some of your audience might know this, but when countries do storytelling around foreign direct investment, they tend to work with platforms such as Bloomberg, Financial Times, CNN, etc. So that was a shame for me because a lot of hard work went into it. And uh, obviously I wanted to, I wanted to be able to share the incredible work that we've done with the rest of the world. Um, and also to be able to attract uh, future clients for the business. So that was a challenge. Um, I think with the, uh, with the same project as well, another challenge that I had to overcome is again, I was born and raised in the West. I might, I might be living in the Gulf now, but I can't deny the fact that I have a Western mindset. Right. And I think when you come to the developing world and you want to do business, it's, it's very easy to come in thinking that, you know, you have the right approach and that everyone should adjust your way of doing things. Um, that doesn't always work. And if that's your mindset, you're probably going to end up making a lot of enemies um, around along the way. So you just have to adjust your um, your delivery based on um, based on where you are. What's next for you? What are you working on at the moment? But I'm putting more and more emphasis on, on journalism. So even with the business world on media, looking to do more long form documentaries, I've had some great concepts. Um, for example, so we're looking at developing a, uh, a piece that I did for CNN around shame culture into a, a documentary. I piloted um, 
a podcast series late last year. So I did two episodes of that one. So we're, we're restarting it very soon, doing a whole season of 10 to 12 episodes and hopefully placing that on a major African carrier, uh, fingers crossed, and uh, doing more, more um, thought leadership uh, on the journalism side. So one example of that would be a piece that uh, Politico just published today. I wrote a piece for Politico on Sweden's election. Um, obviously, the, the far right is expected to do quite well in this um, election at a time where the country has a massive challenge around gang violence and, and shootings. So there's been nearly 50 deadly shootings this year, which is crazy actually when it comes to sweden because we there's this perception of the country being a socialist utopia and you know maybe that's a little bit of a dated perception um of, of sweden certainly among swedes themselves but it's but that is something that's still there so my hometown where i was born and raised has a huge challenge when it comes to gangs at the moment um there was a woman and a young child who were uh shot at a playground um, in my hometown. So I wrote a piece for Politico looking at um, Sweden's challenges around integration, why I feel that things have gone in the, in the wrong direction, and then offer some solutions. And I think that's, that's really what I'd like to do more of going forward, not just tell stories in a traditional sense, but actually uh, share some of my opinions, my observations um, around people and places that I that I know well. So it means doing work in Sweden, but it also means uh, increasingly, uh, you know, looking at what's happening in Ethiopia and what are the opportunities there when it comes to to journalism. It's not always the easiest place to navigate, especially at the moment, but. I see myself connecting the Gulf with Africa while not abandoning uh, Sweden, which is obviously a place that I know mm. very well. Thank you so much, Jim, for sharing these uh, fascinating insights with regards to what's happening in Sweden. And you're absolutely correct. Many of us do have outdated um, notions about Nordic societies. So, and you know, people like yourselves are very well positioned to obviously tell that story in a more nuanced way because the world does need to, to hear it. Um, I wish we had more time to dig even deeper. Unfortunately, we don't. So I will end by saying a huge thank you for coming on today. And uh, where can our listeners contact you if they want to get in touch? Which social media channel are you most uh, active on? Um, I would say Instagram is probably the best platform. I'm trying to beef up my activities on Twitter, but struggling a little bit. But it's at, um, at Jim Stenman on, on Instagram.